Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me. But more importantly, I am thrilled that you found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter to transform. So I hope that you'll consider joining me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And friends, periodically we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, welcome back, friends, to day six. Today is our final day of looking into biblical angels. Yesterday, we talked about real biblical angels having always been, always are, and will always be forever warriors for the Godhead. They act as agents of wrath and power. And specifically, we discussed scripture passages that brought us into the presence of angels. We looked back as far as the Garden of Eden, advancing to a scene where David was at the center of Jerusalem and 70,000 people had just been killed while an angel upheld a sword holding the power of the plague. And then 700 years later, An angel touches King Herod, who slumps over to his death. And these are only a few examples of angels acting upon their role as God's messengers. Additionally, we learned of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. The angels couldn't bear to look upon Satan and stayed back until the temptation was complete. They were not authorized to jump in and to help. So after the 40 days and 40 nights, then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to Jesus and provided him with food. Now this final podcast in our series of six solidifies that God is in complete control. The presence of angels should help to strengthen and bolster our faith. The biggest takeaway from yesterday was the scriptures showing how valuable both you and me are to God, so much so that we wear his seal, which is similar to a tag in a child's clothing that says, if lost, return to Jesus. And this guarantees protection over his believers and our souls. But we must be aware that a counterfeit exists. He has a dark kingdom and has counterfeited Jesus since the beginning of time. Now, the creation of angels has a rank and order to their system, and scripture teaches that Lucifer was the most beautiful angel of light. He was the chief cherubim angel, the head over all the angels. And the prophet Ezekiel provides a description of the human king Tyre and has a message from the king for the king from God. And when we read Ezekiel chapters 27 and 28, we take some liberties and apply the meaning to Lucifer. This is the direction of many scholars of the day. The chapters need to be read with a discerning eye. Back in Ezekiel's time, the portrait of King Tyre that he paints could not apply solely to an earthbound man. 
or the fact that he says in chapter 28, verse 13 of Ezekiel, you were in the Eden, the garden of God, or verse 14, which says, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. And finally, we read also in verse 12, there's a reference to perfection, wisdom, and beauty. So an accusation is levied against the heart saying, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. And more than likely, the prophet Ezekiel was condemning King Tyre and Satan who caused the king to sin. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 17, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Cast to the ground. I laid you before kings that you might gaze at you. John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus tells the Jews that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. When he was created, it's plausible to believe he told the truth, but as pride and ambition swelled within him, he became synonymous with father of lies and he fell being kicked out of heaven. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it said the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So the fall of Lucifer comes from a name meaning light bearer that was used in Latin translations. And you know, we have five I statements that surround Lucifer. It said, I will ascend to heaven, and this is the highest and holiest heaven where God alone dwells, even higher than the angels. Secondly, he says, I will raise my throne. Third, I will sit enthroned the mount of assembly. Fourth, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And fifth, I will make myself like the most high. So Lucifer wanted to replace God at the pinnacle of everything. And this is the opposite attitude of Christ who came to earth to be a servant, being made in human likeness. Lucifer's sin above all else was pride. And pride turned an angel into a devil. This brought upon him God's curse, not blessing. The devil became the arch enemy of humility. 
So did you, did God know Satan would fall? Yes, because he is the all-knowing God. And could our God have prevented this? Yes, absolutely. God is all-powerful. So why didn't God prevent the fall? Well, it comes down to freedom of choice. God respected Satan's choice while not agreeing with it as he respects our choices, not forcing his will upon us. He is a perfect gentleman. You know, we usually we tell our kids we love them no matter what we might not love their behavior but we love them so freedom of choice so the power of pride is one of the lessons from the fall when we secretly admire ourselves we slip into pride and this explains what happened to eve in the garden of eden she listened to satan discredit god so satan's game plan if you will was the strategy of pride and why does this timeless tactic continue to work well we're willing to be flattered by either ourselves or we're willing to be flattered by others. And what we know for sure is that God's word says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And resist here means counteract or defeats. So in other words, God is defeats the proud but gives grace to the humble. He quickly and swiftly resisted Satan, knocking him down and out from the heavenly realm. And we need to take away the life lesson here and realize if he would do this to a beautiful angel, he surely will correct his children too. So we're to make no mistake about it. We have an enemy and his name is Satan. He wants your life and he wants my life. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, we're told the thief, who's the false shepherd or Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the good shepherd, which is Jesus, has come so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And Satan is constantly busy sowing seeds in our life as often as we will allow it. And we can resist this, though, by quoting the word of God and state, it is written, followed by one of numerous promises throughout the Bible. And we reap what has been sown into our lives. His plan is to destroy us so we will not be useful in furthering the kingdom of God, or he wants to take away any credibility and have others look upon us as less than. His mission, we stated earlier, is a strategy of pride. He wants to ensure our family members, our friends, and our neighbors populate hell with him by not receiving Christ as their savior or making light of who Jesus is and what his purpose in the world actually was, thus securing eternal life. We have an obligation to pray for these souls and to witness to them whenever possible. We all are growing in one of two ways, either in the image of Christ or in the devil. There just aren't any other options. And you know, many Christians tend to tell you, you know, stay within the Christian groups and stay with people that edify and build your faith. But how are we to ever transform someone else's mind by planting a seed with an unbeliever if we also don't hang out and hang around unbelievers so we have an opportunity to plant the seed, although it is the Holy Spirit's job to harvest that seed. So that's just something to think about. 
And now that we're aware of Satan's schemes, we need to do what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, and stand guard. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And it's been said, the world is the devil's playground until Christ returns. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. God's people need to pray for wisdom and discernment now more than ever. Satan is said to masquerade around as an angel of light pretending to be a good angel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. We need to test the spirits to make sure we're believing the truth and not a false apostle. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, Satan has many names that you'll hear him referred to as. And you know, as many names as he has, he has many of them are just as problematic. Satan means accuser. Devil means slanderer. Have you ever known anyone in your life who's an accuser or a slanderer? I have. The dragon, that ancient serpent, and the tempter. His designations are Beelzebub, meaning Lord of the Flies, and the Prince of Demons, or Belial, meaning worthlessness or ruin. And God's kingdom calls us to have one allegiance, and that is to him. We're required to make God's enemy, Satan, our enemy as well. So Jesus is referred to Satan as the prince of this world, although Satan has no hold on Jesus because of his death, burial, and resurrection. When he said it is finished, Satan's defeat was imminent. The war has already been won. There are a few key battles left to be waged by God's people. Are you one of them who will step up as part of the army of God? I sure hope so. Right now, Satan is encumbered with a long chain, only allowing the perimeter of God's leeway. He cannot go further than God's will allows. And God has a perfect will and consent for each of his children. And this was demonstrated in the book of Job when Satan asks to sift Job like the chaff. Or in 1 Samuel, where King Saul was tormented by an evil spirit called an evil spirit from the Lord. This occurred because God allowed for it. Now, the Apostle Paul had a messenger from Satan, the thorn in the flesh, and as a tormentor, he pleaded three times with God to remove it, but came to realize the Lord had sent it to keep him from becoming conceited, puffed up, or arrogant. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says the thorn was helpful in preventing pride in the Apostle Paul. So fear not, God still provides a solution to the problem of Satan. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 23 through 26 outlines for us four key attitudes that believers are to adopt. And it says again, I say don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. 
The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. They must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. They should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they'll believe the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants for long enough. So when we do this, the spell is broken and we do come to our senses. We learn the truth, which is Jesus's word, and we escape the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And you know, the cross at Calvary gives us an advocate to the Father when Satan accuses believers and Satan's accusations all become groundless. And finally, friends, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we're offered a way out of temptation by keeping track of the big picture. So what does 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 teach? Well, Paul teaches that we live in a culture filled with moral depravity and sin-inducing pressures. Paul encouraged the Corinthians about how to handle the temptations. He said, realize Temptations happen to everyone. So no, you or me, we're not being singled out. Other people have resisted temptations before. So that means that we also can resist them. And any and all temptations can be resisted because God will always show us a way of how to resist them. And God helps his people to resist them by identifying situations that give us trouble, running away from what we know is wrong. That is our first step toward victory. Choosing only to do what is right, praying and asking for God's help, or we align ourselves with friends who love God like we do and can offer help when we are tempted. So angels are at work in the physical world when it is the will of God. However, their battleground consists mostly of the mind and the heart, which is our spirit. And that's where Satan and his fallen angels work at deceiving man. They trick people into not believing the word of God, and then they become defiant and rebellious. Archangel Michael is mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. Daniel had prayed to God for 21 days straight without an answer in return, but his prayer had been heard and God sent back an answer immediately, but it was tied up in the spiritual realm in spiritual warfare. And Archangel Michael intervened and got Daniel his answer. So Michael never spoke evil, though, not even against Satan. Michael lets us know that all judgment and vengeance is up to God to invoke. It's not up to us to speak poorly. So what word did Jesus have then for his 72 messengers that he had sent out to heal the sick and share the good news of his gospel? Well, first, we learn that the 72 messengers returned joyfully, reporting to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. The 72 messengers had seen amazing results as they ministered in Jesus's name and with his authority. 
the victories they witnessed caused elation among them. And Jesus shared in their enthusiasm. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, I saw Satan falling from heaven as a flash of lightning, and I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Truly being citizens of heaven is the greatest wonder of all. And Paul tells believers in Romans chapter 16 verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And Satan would like to deceive us into believing that he is God's opposite. And that is a misperception that he's God's equivalent in power and significance. God has no counterpart. Satan is God's sworn enemy. He was created by God as Lucifer, who had been the model of perfection. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we're instructed to know our enemy so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we're very familiar with his evil schemes. And Satan and his fallen angels were created by God for the purpose of worshiping God. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And on occasion, we do suffer the wounds of demons, but we are never conquered or oppressed by them. Satan and his demonic army all work for a common purpose. But be assured, Jesus reigns and will put all of his enemies under his feet, including the devil and every one of his demons. The scriptures teach us that Jesus overcame every demon he ever encountered. As his followers, we share in that power. Jesus saw Satan fall to earth like lightning from heaven, and Jesus shows us how to win the struggle with demons. His life knew both spiritual warfare and the touch of angels. So now let me ask, do you ever forget that God is stronger than Satan? Well, let me read Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. And this was when the religious leaders accused Jesus of getting his power from Satan. It says, Then a demon-possessed man, who was both blind and unable to talk, was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed. Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, they wondered out loud? But when Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he replied, Any kingdom at war with itself is doomed. A city or home divided against itself is doomed. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he's fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. 
And if I am empowered by the prince of demons, what about your own followers? They cast out demons too. So they will judge you for what you've said. But if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Let me illustrate this. You can't enter a strong man's house and rob him without first tying him up. Only then can his house be robbed. Anyone who isn't helping me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So the Pharisees, as you can see, were judgmental, declaring Jesus as a servant of Satan. And Jesus declared how absurd their argument was to believe Satan would attack and defeat his own demonic forces. Sometimes human logic makes absolutely no sense. So why do you think we've gotten the idea that Satan is so much powerful than he is? Well, Satan is not alone in his spiritual attacks. Often we have more than one enemy confronting us. And we find in the book of Mark chapter 16 verse 9 says that Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her which Jesus drove out. Mark tells of another man who had been attacked by a legion of demons. There were about 2,000 in total, and they begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. He agreed and sent them into swine. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they all drowned. These very spirits are rational beings. They're not diseases or tricks of the imagination. And James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You believe that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. They hear and speak. And doesn't that just tell you right there that even the demons are not atheists. They even believe in Jesus. So the book of Revelation tells of John's vision where a red dragon, meaning Satan, used his tail and swept one hundred or excuse me, one third of the angels or the stars out of the sky and he flung them to earth. And the stars frequently represent angels. So now we know that a third of the angels that had been created originally are fallen angels. So that means two thirds are good, one third bad. So who are Satan's servants? They're the demons who often are called evil spirits or unclean spirits. And demons cannot operate outside of God's will. So now allow me to close this podcast with this thought. It comes from Luke chapter 10 verse 2. The harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. So we need every, each and every one of you that will step up and let people know about Jesus. Let people know about saving grace, what eternal life means. Because there are so many people that are not on their way to heaven, but they could be if you would just step up and have a voice for Jesus being his hands and feet. And friends, if that's you today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, you want to make sure you go to heaven, not somewhere else, then I would just invite you to repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. 
I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the past, present, and future sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other believers who will continue to help edify and build up your faith in Jesus. And now let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. Congratulations and God bless you. And as we leave today, I want to share Priest Aaron's contribution. It's a benediction that he wrote in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And that prayer just encompassed six blessings over your life. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast airs on Wednesdays when we're not involved in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you might have grown up with. And we'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many more. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we explore the Bible together. And if you like this podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And friends, much of today's podcast referenced my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, please write to me and I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. And why don't you be a blessing to someone today and share this podcast with them? And remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus forever. Amen. Until next time, be blessed and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all.